Greetings and welcome to the very first episode of the Yaku Hawaii Stories podcast. My name is Grant Walters and I serve as the Director of Educational Programs at the Yaku Hawaii Home Office here in Columbus, Ohio, and I will also be your host for today. Glad you could join us from wherever in the world you happen to be listening. We're really excited to debut this project, which will bring our listeners in-depth conversations with campus housing professionals and partners from around the globe. For this inaugural episode, our guest is Dr. Alvin Sturdivant, who is the Vice President for Student Development at Seattle University and an Akua Hawaii past president. Alvin talks about eminent leadership in his personal and professional life and how he's practiced those aspects in a time of crisis and through a lens of equity and inclusion. Alvin and I recorded this episode back in November of 2020, but as our campuses begin to emerge from the pandemic and contend with pervasive division and racism in and around their communities, Alvin's words continue to be timely and healing. More episodes of this podcast will be on the way shortly, and they will all be linked to our website, which is www.acuho-i.org. Without further delay, here's Alvin's story. Uh, Alvin, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, you are the first guest on our podcast, and so uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us and share some of your insight and your story with us. No, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be a part of this and for having received the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, so start by telling us just a little bit about what you do at Seattle University. You're the Vice President for Student Development. Um, what does your day-to-day responsibility sort of look like and how do you support housing and residence life in that role? Sure. So I've been at Seattle University for um, 11 years now and in my current role um, for the past four. Um, I assumed some responsibility for housing and residence life in 2013 when I was the Associate Vice President for Student Development and the unit reported directly to me. Um, and in my current role, um, it maintains a dotted line um, report. Um, and so the director um, specifically meets with me once a month and I'm pretty actively engaged in helping to set our room and board rates and policies and those kinds of things. Um, the, the, the broader sort of scope of my responsibilities are um, associated with the student experience and working with my colleagues all across the campus, both those in student affairs and those outside of our um, area to ensure that we're creating uh, a seamless, cohesive, integrated student experience that really gives all of our students an opportunity to thrive and and to actively engage um, with their education in ways that are meaningful and purposeful um, for them, uh, but also leverages their gifts and their strengths um, in ways that, uh, you know, are very sort of classically Seattle University. Great. And so we could spend a whole podcast probably talking about your path into the profession, but we won't. But what were some of the important events that initially brought you into campus housing at first? Sure. You know, so it it, it, it was circumstance um, more than anything. Um, I, quite honestly, um, as a first year um, college student going into my second year, wasn't really interested in anything other than continuing to live on campus and um, I happened to be um, in summer school at the end of my first year of college and um, found myself in an argument with another student um, that was witnessed by my graduate hall director. Okay. Um, and honestly, she liked the way I handled myself in that situation. Um, and in my conduct meeting with her, so to speak, 
um, asked me if I had ever considered being an RA. And I said, frankly, no, um, not something I'm interested in. Um, and um, upon having conversations with my parents about the RA position and the benefits financially, um, mm-hmm. I was convinced by them that it was an opportunity that I should pursue. And turns out I was good at it. I loved it um, and continued to do it um, for my sophomore and my junior year in college and would have continued doing it uh, my senior year. But I was also involved in student government and was presented with having to make a choice of having a major student government leadership position or being an RA. And at that point in time, I decided to go with student government, although, um, you know, I remained living on campus um, during my senior year. Um, and that, you know, turned into a career in, in in housing primarily before moving into student affairs administration. I, you know, worked um, in just about every possible position you could have in housing, ranging from desk assistant to director. And, um, you know, it's it's how I cut my teeth in the field. Um, it's it's where I developed the, the the very basic sort of skills and competencies that I continue to utilize in the work that I do um, today. Um, and um, quite honestly, is where my fondest memories of my work in student affairs comes from, is that the, the time that I spent in, in housing um, and is one of the primary reasons that I remain connected um, to Akubawai um, and um, wanted housing here at my university to have a direct um, or a dotted line report um, to me is because I um, care very deeply about the work that's happening in housing mm-hmm. um, and want to continue sort of influencing the the direction that it takes. Great. We've been talking a lot um, with members and among staff about um, entry-level professionals and some of the paths they take to come into the profession full-time. And one of the the thing that's come up in those conversations has been talking about how well we prepare professionals for the actual work of the profession. So in a graduate program, if that's you know your path in, you learn about theory, you learn about some application, you learn about possibly what it takes to be published, um, and it's it's a very academic sort of perspective. But then you come into a hall director or a resident director position, and it becomes very practical, and it becomes um, a, a lot different, I think, than what maybe you had first thought of. And so what were some of the important things that you learned or maybe the things you wish you had learned or knew about um, when you transitioned into your first housing position from your grad experience? Sure. You know, I I think at first my experience was a little bit less traditional um, than sort of the average um, student coming out of a a grad program, um, if you will. Um, in that um, I was in the the first cohort of the higher education administration program at North Carolina State University. Um, And most of the faculty in our program were practitioners in the division of student affairs. And so um, it was a more practically oriented um, sort of educational experience um, that I received. Um, I also happened to work in a three-quarter time assistantship. um, And so I was working 30 hours a week um, while in grad school as a graduate hall director in, and at that particular point in time, uh, th- there were no full-time hall directors. We were it um, and had sole responsibility um, for um, the, the management of our buildings and our RA staffs and our hall councils. And so I offer my next set of comments with that as sort of my backdrop. 
Sure. Um, you know, I, I went into my first full-time position. I'm feeling largely confident in, in sort of the experiences that I'd had leading um, up to that period in, in my life. But what I quickly learned was that there was so much more um, that um, I didn't know and, and needed to know in order to be, you know, effective and to really um, impact the lives of the students that I was charged with working um, with day to day. Um, and, and some of those more practical skills um, that I think, um, you know, I was lacking at that time was, you know, understanding budgets, um, understanding supervision, uh, particularly as a young professional, um, supervising folks who weren't much younger than I was at that particular point in, in my life, um, learning the difference between advising and supervision. Certainly, it was an interview question um, that I got um, <laughs> at every step along the way, um, right. and I think I had a good answer for it, uh, but being able to apply that in, in my actual day-to-day -day, uh, work responsibilities was a bit more challenging. Um, I think um, one of the other pieces um, was assessment and sort of evaluation and understanding the nuances and the differences and being able to apply that analysis and understanding to my work um, and, and understanding how to utilize that to affect change um, in the work um, was also a little bit more difficult and challenging as a early um, career professional. Uh, you know, one of the other pieces um, that I, I um, was learning to sort of navigate, and again, this is something that they tackle in the curriculum, but um, you don't really understand it until you're on the job is the politics of higher education and, mm -hmm. and, and really right. um, trying to navigate that. Uh, you know, I, I went from the Southern United States to the Northeast um, and, uh, you know, the, the politics of geography alone um, were difficult, uh, but then you tag in um, the politics of higher education and making the transition from a public institution to a private institution uh, you know, it, it, it just was very different um, than, than what I was prepared for. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, fortunately, I um, had great uh, mentors and supervisors who were able to assist me in, in sort of upping my understanding and, and, and helping me to, you know, access professional development opportunities and training opportunities that um, ultimately equipped me to be able to do that work in ways that were meaningful for me, meaningful for my sure. career, but most importantly, meaningful for the students that I was working with. Right. Well, that, that's a great segue. Uh, so you and I, as we uh, exchanged some emails about this uh, podcast and, and about what we'd be talking about, uh, we had sort of um, landed on being able to discuss mm -hmm. the importance of leadership in a time of great crisis. And so thinking about those people who mentored you who are the individuals in your life or along your career path that modeled exemplary leadership? Sure. Uh, you know, so first and foremost, uh, you know, the, the number one sort of influence in, in my life um, was my grandmother, who in, in every way that counts was really my mother. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, every lesson um, that I know to be true about leadership and, and, and how to lead um, in, in good times and bad times really came um, from my grandmother. Um, you know, in addition to her, um, and, and she's been gone since 1997 and yet is still a very powerful and meaningful influence in my life. But in addition to her, there have been a number of folks through, you know, the years of, of, of my career, uh, you know, 
Tom Ellett was my first director at Syracuse University and is one of the primary reasons um, that I chose to, to, to uproot myself um, from my comfort um, in North Carolina and the Southeast and, and move you know, up um, to the Northern tier um, of the, the US. And um, you know, he continues to be um, a big influence in my life, uh, you know, watching um, the, the way he leads um, in, 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 in the way he engages with students and staff members um, was a phenomenal model for me and a number of other um, folks. Um, you know, Stacy Miller, um, who was my director when I was the associate director of Res Life at the University of Vermont, um, was also a huge influence um, in my life and, and, and helped me um, understand, um, you know, how to um, prioritize myself and my family um, while also balancing um, work um, in in school and 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 con continues to to be um, that sort of a presence um, for me. Um, Kent Porterfield, who I think took a risk on me um, and hired me as his director of uh, housing residence life at St. Louis University, um, when um, I myself wasn't sure I was ready, so to speak, um, to take on um, that level of leadership um, and in in continues again um, now that I work in a Jesuit context and, and, and he continues to work in this context, continues to be a great model um, uh, for, for leadership. I mean, and, and two others um, from the University of Vermont, Robert Kelly, who uh, um, recruited me there and now is at Loyola University in Maryland and, and Jacob Diaz, um, who was a part of the search committee that hired me um, and is now at University of South Florida, St. Petersburg, um, those are two folks um, that are still a part of my governing board, so to speak. Sure. Um, that when um, I need to, you know, run things uh, by folks or consult or be advised about the the challenges uh, that we are experiencing um, in our work or in life in general, um, that I know I can still lean on and, and call upon. Um, and um, you know, the example that they continue to set. Um, for me and for others is is pretty um, amazing, you know, and, and it was through those last two um, that, uh, you know, uh, th this sort of um, mantra, if you will, um, that um, we used to talk about quite extensively, um, are you invested or committed to my retention, invested in or committed to my retention, came up quite frequently in my time um, at the University of Vermont, um, which was quite challenging for me as a a black person living in New England. Um, and um, it's something that I, you know, continue to carry with me as I think about, you know, you know providing mentorship and modeling um, of, of my own leadership for my team and for students and, and others who are watching me given the fishbowl um, that we live in um, is that um, there, there's a part of me that has to be committed to the retention of my students and my, my staff um, in ways that are really grounded in relationship and connection. And all the folks that I've listed um, off um, are, are folks that modeled that for me and were invested um, not only in how I was developing as a professional, but also as a person. Um, and that is critical, um, I think, to anyone um, who is setting an example for others. Great, thank you. Um, well, thinking about your leadership over the past eight months on your campus, um, I shudder to use the, the term in unprecedented times, but obviously that's, that's what we're living and working in. And so um, the campus housing has been impacted on so many levels, um, 
both expected and unexpected, I think. And so what have been the most important things in your mind as a leader that you've done over the past eight months to help uh, your community through those big changes and those, you know, uh, circumstances that, you know, we probably didn't imagine we'd be in last year at this time. Sure. You know, it's interesting, you know, I think, you know, the first thing that sort of immediately comes to mind is, you know, in, in, in my role as vice president, I am, you know, not typically on the front lines in, in sort of managing the day-to-day kinds of things that are going on for our community and, and our students. And in particular, in, in the last eight months, um, I think I've been thrust back into um, that um, in, in ways that I don't think any of us could have ever um, really imagined and have been um, at the table uh, making, um, along with my colleagues, both in the Division of Student Affairs, Student Development, and um, those across the university, making really critical decisions um, about, uh, you know, what we are doing in response um, to, uh, you know, COVID-19 and the myriad of other issues and pandemics that we're experiencing, like racial justice, um, that have real life implications um, for our students and, and, and their families. And so, um, you know, I've been um, pretty um, well involved and engaged in, in, in all of these things, including, uh, you know, setting policy, um, helping to make decisions about whether or not we will actually open for any in-person um, classes, um, trying to determine what our capacity would be um, for housing, um, just given um, you know, what we know from the CDC, what we know from public health, and, and what we also know um, from um, the state of Washington um, in, in terms of its own guidance and, and, and regulations uh, with regards to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, working directly with my team um, to understand um, how to pivot, um, excuse me, pivot um, in this time um, where we are primarily remote and virtual, um, but have the same obligation and the same need to help build community sure. um, and to keep our students connected um, to the university. Um, this was particularly more challenging, you know, given um, that you know, our first year students, uh, you know, lost um, the end of their senior year of high school and to some degree have lost um, that more sort of traditional um, experience of beginning college. Um, And so, um, you know, trying to figure out with the team, you know, what does this need to look like? Um, What is it that we absolutely need to do? Um, What is it that we can sort of pull back on given the, the financial constraints um, that um, are upon us, given you know we um, are at a place where we have reduced enrollment, um, retention has been impacted. Um, given that there are a number of students who've decided to take gap years, we have some of our first year students living on campus, but we have a good number of them also studying from a number of different places throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. Um, and yet, our obligation is to try and build community in that context, and and, and with that as the the frame, and so um, helping folks understand, uh, you know, what our students are experiencing, um, helping our students understand that we really know that this is a very different kind of experience for them, and yet we are committed to their development, um, and recognizing um, for our staff um, that this is not um, a learning um, or engagement medium that is conducive to the styles of all of our students, um, and so how to appropriately respond and adapt to that um, in ways that represent our nimbleness and our flexibility and our adaptability 
is critical um, to being able to carve out that kind of experience that I was discussing um, a bit earlier. And so, um, you know, I think the baseline is sort of being big picture um, and visionary in this environment while also being on the front lines and, and having to make, um, you know, you know, day-to-day weed level decisions around testing and, and, and dining and housing um, that, um, you know, typically, um, you know, our, our teams in each of those areas would have uh, responsibility for. You spoke about that high level lens versus the sort of front lines lens. Obviously, good leadership is important on multiple levels in our profession. And so thinking about our entry level and our mid-level staff, what does good leadership look like in times like this on those levels? What are some important things or um, attributes that you think are critical to their success um, in in leading communities through uh, turbulent times? Sure. You know, the the, the two, uh, you know, areas that I have found to be the most helpful to my own leadership and and from those that I'm being led by to some degree um, has been transparency and communication. Um, That the the more we are able to share out uh, information um, with our stakeholders and our constituents, the better off I think we will all be. Um, even if that information um, isn't the information that folks want or the information that they desired, um, if we're able to communicate it um, in ways that are transparent right. um, and provide them with, uh, you know, framing and in, in, in context um, and um, really some rationale for why this and not that, um, I found that really um, to be helpful um, to being able to uh, bring my own division along um, as we've had to, you know, transition and shift, you know, sometimes every hour, um, sometimes a couple of times a week, sometimes once a week. Uh, but that's just sort of the environment that we're currently in. Um, the other piece um, that um, I think I've found really helpful is providing space um, for um, a couple of different things. Um, one, a space for the team to be able to reflect on what uh, we are experiencing um, collectively what we're experiencing individually um, and being able um, to dig into that a bit um, with one another. Um, I also have found it helpful um, to um, provide um, spaces for us to be in community um, with one another. You know, one of the things that I think folks miss the most is the opportunity to gather um, with our colleagues, um, particularly right. um, for campuses like mine that are um, primarily remote. Um, right now, and even in these, um, you know, virtual environments and, and, and using um, that as the medium, um, you know, just being together um, where there's no agenda and, and having an opportunity to socialize with one another and to play sure. games or whatever um, you, you build um, for your folks, um, I have found to be um, really important. Um, and then the other piece that I find important, uh, you know, so th- there's COVID and then there's the racial injustice yes. um, stuff um, that is circling all about us. Um, and, and that's even more amplified given um, the, the election season and, uh, and, and what's been happening with that rhetoric and, 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 and so, so on and so forth. Um, being able to acknowledge um, the impact of all of those things um, on our campus, but also on our individual persons and being able to, to, to talk um, openly um, about those things um, in the context of our, our work um, has been, I think, also critically important. Um, you know, one in acknowledgement um, that these are just not typical times um, for us um, in that 
Um, there's also some trauma associated with the times that we're living through um, right now. Um, and while our work is important, it is not the most important thing in in, in our world. Um, sure. and, 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 and that probably actually is the number one, um, you know, leadership lesson, um, I think, you know, that I um, have found um, even more so than transparency and communication is um, recognizing the need to preserve the health and safety um, of our individual um, students and individual faculty and staff, um, while acknowledging that the greatest priorities in our lives um, aren't the things that we do for our universities. It's really about our community. It's really about our family, our friends, um, and those folks uh, who are most important to us and doing everything that we can to keep them safe. Um, and, you know, I, I think all those things sort of together um, really sort of represent, uh, you know, what I think um, is most important and most critical for, you know, those of us in leadership to sort of bear in mind and to prioritize as we are engaging with our teams. So thinking about that, um, that sort of lens of inclusion and justice and, and equity in, in the work that uh, student affairs people in general, I think, have to do right now. Uh, thinking about housing and residence life specifically, what do you believe those professionals need to do above all else to ensure that the work they're doing for students and faculty and their colleagues and their communities is inclusive and just? Sure. You know, so I mean, it, it to some degree, um, you know, goes back to where I left off, um, just sort of recognizing um, the individual worth and dignity of all of our students and all of our staff members um, and, and, and who they are um, and, and, and what comes along with them um, in, in these environments. So, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Um, you know, when, 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 when I enter into an environment or into a space, I'm bringing all of who I am um, into that space. And my most salient identities um, are really um, associated with my being um, a Black African-American man in this world. Mm -hmm. um, so right. um, that's sort of how I, I enter into a space. Um, and, and I recognize um, that many of our students and many of our staff members, when they enter into a new environment or um, a, an old environment um, or into a space, um, they're bringing, um, you know, you know, a variety of different parts of themselves um, into that space. And, and, and part of our obligation, um, particularly in a housing um, setting, is to create space and opportunity um, for students to be authentic um, and to be able to thrive whatever their lived experiences and backgrounds are. Um, I think, um, you know, also creating um, an opportunity for students in particular, and, and also from a training perspective, our staff members to engage with one another across difference um, and to develop the skills and competencies required um, to engage in this world where intersectionality and engagement are really important um, is also uh, critical. Um, the, the other piece from an equity and inclusion perspective is just acknowledging, again, as I noted earlier, the times that we find ourselves in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and while, quite honestly, uh, you know, the, 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 the things that have brought us here aren't new. Um, it's truly a representation of this white supremacist structure that has existed for generations and generations and generations. Yes. Um, the, the, the way um, society and universities are responding to it 
is new um, and the way housing departments is responding to it is absolutely new um, and um, has a new sort of urgency that I don't think was there before. Um, and and I, I can't really explain um, where that urgency comes from, but perhaps it's been you know amplified by the dual pandemics that we find ourselves in. Um, in in sort of acknowledging that in, in building an ecosystem that is responsive to that um, and continues to be responsive, but also is nimble enough to adapt where necessary um, and invites all the various voices in, um, in ways um, that are safe and healthy um, and productive, um, but not damaging and harmful and disruptive, um, which is easier said than done, but um, you know, certainly I think a role that Housing Res Life can play just given um, you know, that we typically are getting students um, at the outset of their college experience and, and, and when they are um, to some degree empty vessels, really open um, to be pushed and challenged in ways that um, they've not been up to this point in their lives. So thinking about what housing professionals do really well, and, and of course the generalist role of a housing professional means that they have to be really, really good at so many different things. What in terms of inclusion and equity work do you think the profession excels at and where are the places where there are gaps that still need to be addressed or um, given more attention from your perspective? Sure, you know, I, I, I think we um, have historically done a great job at prepping our staff um, to work in these diverse and multicultural environments. Um, student staff, professional staff, grad staff, whatever it might be, um, really um, equipping them with the, the, the skills and the competencies to engage with, with students in, in really meaningful ways um, around identity and, and, and those kinds of things. Um, where I think we have fallen short um, and aren't necessarily doing as well um, is in um, that skill and competency piece with our students. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily about indoctrination, um, but it is about introducing students to new and different perspectives. And, and I don't know that we've accepted that challenge um, sort of unilaterally, um, you know, across our, our campuses. Um, I think, uh, you know, so that, that, that's one sort of practical piece. I think one of the other um, significant pieces um, is, um, you know, programmatically, you know, higher education in general, but certainly this applies in housing, um, I think to some degree amplifies the differences between the haves and the have nots um, in um, issues of access are um, still relatively significant on many of our campuses. Um, the ability to access, uh, you know, a variety of different housing uh, models and types, um, accessing um, programmatic opportunities. Um, you know, um, when we look at it through the lens of um, socioeconomic class and, and status, um, certainly has been a factor. Um, our ability to address, uh, you know, food security matters um, and, and issues um, for our students um, has been um, a, a fairly significant gap for a number of campuses um, through the years um, and, and housing, of course, can play a significant role um, in that. Um, you know, I think one of the, the other um, sort of um, significant gaps is, um, you know, looking at um, how we're connecting um, students to one another um, in, in, in those, you know, training opportunities and programming opportunities 
um, particularly students um, whose viewpoints and ideological perspectives are different. Um, we have not figured that out. Um, and that has been a real challenge in, 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 in so many ways. Right. Um, and so those, those tend to be some of the voids and gaps. Um, I will note um, another area where I think um, we are doing really good work is um, recognizing um, the demographic shifts um, that are occurring um, in yes. um, our, you know, in higher ed in general, um, but more particularly in housing and, and how those demographic shifts, whatever they might be, um, are influencing the way students are experiencing one another and college and us um, as leaders. Um, but that um, has been um, sort of a, 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 a growing sort of area of improvement um, right, through the right. years in, 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 in an area where I think we've made some, some seismic um, improvements, quite honestly, um, that, um, you know, 10 or so years ago, um, you know, there, there, there were things that weren't being done that we're now doing um, that really resonate with our student bodies, um, given the shifts um, demographically um, that have occurred. So thinking about um, everything that's transpired in the profession and, and in the world over the past eight months or so, um, you know, we've mourned the loss of many things. We've experienced a lot of trauma uh, for people that has been um, incredibly personal. Um, it's been threatening. It's been uh, sometimes a matter of life or death. And so there's a, there's a lot that I think people are, are contending with. And I, I think people are clinging to the hope, obviously, that we're going to come out of this at some point um, in, in the future with uh, something learned, something gained. Um, in your mind, what are thinking about all the things we've just talked about, what are the things that you think that the housing professional will come out with being stronger for um, at the end of all of this, when we're able to go back more in person, we're able to have those more intimate relationships one-on-one -on -one with students and colleagues and things like that. What do you think will make the, the profession stronger? Sure. You know, I, I think to some degree um, it, it is represented in our, the, the ability to pivot that we demonstrated mm -hmm. um, and, and initially responding um, to COVID-19 um, in, um, in the subsequent months as we've sort of remained in this sort of state and environment um, that we have learned um, that while um, the, the brick and mortar experience is essential um, mm -hmm. and a critical part um, of the experiences that students have uh, in, in college, mm -hmm. um, that we can certainly reach far more students um, when um, we um, utilize technology to our advantage. Um, and, and so, uh, being able um, to provide, you know, services and, and programs virtually um, that we never even considered before um, has given us the ability to tap into, um, you know, a, a set of students who previously weren't utilizing our services um, or attending our programs and events. Um, I think that's definitely a lesson um, that we'll take away from, from all of this um, and one that applies, I think, across all of higher ed and not just in housing, but certainly um, housing um, will, will benefit. I think our students um, have um, likely recognized um, how more essential this experience of living on campus was for them than they even knew before. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, based on what we're hearing, uh, you know, from, you know, the actual students living on campus and students um, who are coming to us remotely, um, about, um, you know, not feeling like they can build community um, virtually in the same way um, as they could 
sure. um, in person um, in, in being able um, to sort of capitalize on that to some degree and, and build out, um, you know, the ideals of building community in, in ways that didn't exist before. You know, I think, um, you know, the, the other pieces, um, and I don't know that these are necessarily lessons learned, um, but certainly um, changes in policy and protocol that will likely follow us. Um, you know, thinking about, um, you know, how we, um, you know, assign roommates, um, sure. thinking yeah. about how we set up furniture in lounges um, and, and, and what our policies will look like in terms of capacity in lounges and kitchens and laundry rooms and those things going forward. Um, you know, certainly it's my hope um, that we don't find ourselves experiencing um, a pandemic of this magnitude. Um, again, in, in our lifetimes, but <laughs> who knows, um, quite honestly. Right. I mean, so as we go forward, um, we'll absolutely need to be thinking about um, the preservation of the health and safety of our communities. I mean, that'll certainly be on the minds of our students and their family members. I mean, and, and so we'll need to um, absolutely ensure that we're building out um, policies and protocols that bear these things in mind. The other um, piece that I think um, we will um, take away from this is um, how to work um, more um, so in a resource constrained environment. Uh, you know, certainly we were already in a depleting resources environment, just given sort of the downward trend um, with enrollment and the, 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 the reducing number of students graduating from high school and the impact that was having on higher ed. Um, but this has, you know, made that a bit more pronounced and, and we'll have to be responsive to that. Um, and then the, the, the last piece um, that I'm thinking about in, in terms of um, lessons learned is um, how we um, go about uh, just prepping students for this new environment and, and, and ensuring that um, they understand, uh, you know, what it means to be in, in, in this environment where um, there'll be some services offered in person and some other services offered virtually uh -huh. um, in, in helping them to establish some degree of comfort um, with existing in that kind of an environment. Though, you know, eight months later, I think our students are getting really comfortable with it, though um, very annoyed um, and to some degree right. really, really over it um, in the same way that I'm over it. I think our students <laughs> are over right. it. Um, but I also recognize that this is, um, not not our new normal. Um, um, I, I don't like that framing, but certainly um, just sort of the way it will be um, for us. Uh, you know, I think we'll find some folks um, will continue wearing face coverings even after, um, you know, there's a vaccine and the pandemic, COVID at least, um, is long gone um, for their own sort of sanity um, and um, security um, in, in some ways. Uh -huh. and, and that's just... Um, you know, things won't look the same, things won't ever be the same or feel the same. Um, and I think that's a good thing um, because it, it, it really right. positions us to be more responsive and available to those that we weren't available to before. Thank you. Uh, excellent perspective. So thank you so much for sharing um, the, those viewpoints with us. Um, we're going to turn it over to uh, sort of a, a set of questions that we want to ask all of our podcast guests, and so uh, we'll, we'll turn the uh, we'll we'll turn the the proverbial camera back on you individually again, so to speak. Um, what has been the most rewarding aspect, um, if you could name something, of the work you did in housing and residence life? You know the 
it, it, it's really interesting. There are a number of things that were rewarding about my my work in housing residence life, you know, dating back to when I was an RA and and had hallway conversations, really organic and formal hallway conversations mm-hmm. with, you know, my residents um, who some of our lifelong friends and I'm still connected to in, 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 in really um, fascinating and great ways um, to, um, you know, being able um, to, you know, you know, sit in a room and dig deeply into issues um, with my colleagues. You know, when I was a residence director or an AD or a director, um, you know, those things that were front of mind for us and for our students and, and, and really problem solving um, together um, some of the, 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 the bigger problems and questions um, that we were charged with um, providing a response to, um, I, I think really fondly of. I think the thing that I think the the, the fondest of though um, are those mentoring relationships um, that um, I benefited from um, as a mentee um, and um, as a mentor. Um, just being able to engage, uh, you know, one on one folks who know me really well, um, and, and likely those that don't know me that well but have observed me from a distance, um, can likely tell that I'm very relational, very people oriented, um, and my preferences for one on one or small groups. And, um, you know, that's because I have the ability to really develop really rich um, relationships where we can engage in really thoughtful conversations with one another. And, and there have been none better for me um, than with my own mentors and with those that I provide mentorship with. Uh, you know, I, um, in the, 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 the moments when I question um, why I still do this work, um, certainly those are the more challenging um, times and this is one of those. Um, right. What I draw back to are those many, many meaningful exchanges, um, and as you can tell, those are all grounded in being connected to people. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and that's the absolute thing that has been the most rewarding part of working in housing. That the other piece for me is, and you referenced this earlier, the generalist nature of the work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I cut my teeth in housing residence life. I I always use. Um, um, I, I think about housing res life work in the same way I think about teaching hospitals, mm-hmm. um, that folks who come to us um, are coming um, to develop their skills and their competencies um, so that they can move on to the next phase or the next level um, of their career. And, and, and there's so many you know, skills and competencies that you need to learn at each level. Um, and, 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 and that's sort of the obligation that I always felt um, when I was working in leadership in housing residence life, that these were um, sure. my residence directors or my area coordinators or my assistant directors. Um, and there were, you know, the, these very clear um, learnings that needed to occur. Um, and that was our role and their, our responsibility um, to them in, um, you know, watching um, that growth and that development um, happen um, is also very rewarding for me. Um, and in particular um, for folks who work in housing, especially considering that housing more than everyone else is on the front lines, uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, and there, there, there's nothing more challenging than that, uh, but also nothing more rewarding than that. And, and just seeing, um, you know, um, the outcomes of all of that commitment and that work, um, which is uh, manifest in the transformation that, we don't always see initially um, in our students, but um, with the long-term investment, we do. Um, and sometimes long after, after they've graduated from the university, 
like that is what it's all about for me. Um, and, and again, um, that, that work, I think, most critically happens um, in our hallways of the residences um, in, sure. in ways that um, just can't be duplicated in the other areas of the profession. So thinking about your, you spoke at length, obviously, about your time um, as, as a campus housing professional, um, now as a VP, but also your experience as an Akuhoi president and, and the perspective that you gained there. What do you think is the big capital C challenge that is facing the campus housing profession in the future? You know, eight months ago, my answer might have been a little bit different than mm-hmm. the, the answer that I provide now. Um, but um, you know, certainly my, my thinking about this is influenced by COVID-19 and, sure. and racial injustice significantly. Of course. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the value add question has always been a big one. Um, and I think it will remain a big one, um, particularly given um, that many of our campuses have gone for, you know, a, a window with having far fewer students living with us on campus. Um, and so, you know, helping folks understand what the, the the value of a residential experience is and how it contributes to the overall education of students remains, I think, a critical part of our um, uh, work ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, the utilization of technology um, also remains a pretty critical part um, of our work um, in, in utilizing it um, in ways that we weren't thinking about, again, before COVID-19. Um, in this transition to a virtual and, and remote learning and engagement environment um, will be um, um, work ahead of us. Um, the resource question um, is also a big one uh, in, in, you know, with the impact of COVID um, and, and the, the reduction um, that many of us have seen and or loss of revenue um, that we've seen and the impact that, that will have on us both short term and long term um, is something that we will grapple with. Um, the continuing diversifying of our student body and the uh, end of our field of professionals um, and, and what that means um, for um, our work um, will also be um, pretty significant. Um, and then the, the other piece um, c- connected to that is um, digging in more specifically around issues of racism and sexism and homophobia um, in the, the, the number of issues um, that will come up. Um, regulatory and compliance related matters are also pretty significant for our work right. um, in housing and residence life. Uh, you know, and, 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 and given just, you know, the changes that have occurred in the last two years alone um, have been pretty significant. And depending on, you know, the outcome of, of um, tomorrow's election um, will really dictate the, the, the path that um, we will take in the way of uh, a number of these uh, regulations that have come out more recently. Um, but that is um, work that, you know, housing res life folks are on the front lines of. Um, and then, you know, the, the last piece that I will offer is, uh, you know, related um, to um, sort of the um, uh, sort of professionalization of the field um, in, in the work that we do. And that's certainly something that we talked about quite extensively yes. in my time as a Kuhawai president. And I know it's a conversation that has continued um, since then, uh, but uh, making sure that our folks are adequately and appropriately prepared um, for the work that we do, um, but also for the future um, and how the work will shift 
um, and evolve, um, I think is um, really um, critical um, in, in being able um, to, you know, utilize um, our networks um, in ways to help inform um, how we are uh, moving in this field um, globally um, is important. Great. My very last question for you is sure. what is your greatest hope for the future of the profession? Um, sure. So my um, greatest hope, you know, is um, that we will continue um, to influence and transform the lives of students um, in one another, um, that we um, will continue to be on the ground and on the front lines um, with our students, that we will continue to help them grapple uh, with the big questions that uh, are personal um, to them, um, that we will continue um, to be involved in the development of their identity um, and that we will invest fully in, in who each of our students is becoming and that we won't get lost in this collective residence notion, um, but that we will recognize the individuality and the uniqueness of each of our students. Um, and lastly, um, that this will um, be um, the moment that we can find ourselves in now will be a snapshot in time that we will look back on and um, we'll, you know, of course, see the challenges, um, but we'll recognize that we emerge from it stronger, better, um, and more equipped um, to, to, to move into the future than we were um, ever before. And so um, th those are really the hopes that I have. Good. Well, Alvin, thank you so much for joining us, for, uh, for being the very first guest on our podcast. But we also uh, greatly value your leadership and your partnership in the profession. And so thank you for everything that you do to support students and staff and also the association. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And thank you again. No, Grant, thank you. I, again, really appreciate the opportunity and the invitation. It has been an absolute pleasure. And, and I hope that folks will find some nugget in, in what I've offered today. I know they will. Thanks, Alvin. Thank you. And that concludes our first episode of the Akuhawai Stories podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Alvin Sturdivant for his candid thoughts and observations and for his continued support of the association and to all of you for listening. More episodes of this podcast will be released very soon and you'll be able to find them and many more initiatives, events, and resources on our website, www.acuho-i.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn for more news and events. I'm Grant Walters and it's been a pleasure being your host. Until next time, I hope you and yours stay safe and healthy.